The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing your nation's public radio source for all the news, strategies, tips, and techniques you need to build your own financial independence through real estate investing. And it has been a busy, busy day. The uh, pre-convention preparations for the OREA National New Strategy Summit are well underway. We have guests arriving from the WMKV listenership from all over the United States already. And when they show up early, we press them into service, putting together goodie bags and doing all kinds of fun stuff. So all day long, it's been OREA convention. And this evening, it's going to be a little more OREA convention because I wanted to treat listeners who can't attend or who maybe will be attending, but uh, deserve a preview, uh, to one of Oria's very favorite speakers. Uh, he's, he's been the guest at the convention many, many times because he has a very unique strategy that he implements. He is, in fact, the only person I know in the entire country uh, who actually talks about this. I know a lot of people who do it, but very few people who are willing to share what they are doing. His name is Nick Sidoti, and he has been investing in real estate since 1989. Uh, he's primarily known as a very successful landlord up in the Buffalo, New York area, but he also rehabs and resells houses and has apartment buildings and has done all sorts of cool things. But the strategy for which he is best known and which he will be sharing with us tonight is special needs housing and how you can get greatly increased rents from properties you may already own by learning how to do this and then implementing this strategy. Joining us from his home in New York is Nick Sidoti. Nick, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Hi, Vina. How are you? I'm good, Nick. Are you ready for the convention? Oh, I'm so ready for the convention. You put out in such a great, great convention. It's one of the my top uh, speaking engagements. So if I had to pick places to go, I love coming to the Ohio. Well, as, uh, as of this morning, we had over 650 people registered. Wow. So there That's will amazing. Be lots of folks there to uh, listen to your words of wisdom. And, and really, what I said in the introduction is true. I know people here in Cincinnati who do what you do, but they don't want to talk about it. Because <laughs> yeah, they like don't asking somebody for their bank account. <laughs> Please lend me your credit card. <laughs> exactly. They don't. They don't want the 
they don't want the competition. They, 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 they have this little niche market to themselves. And in talking to them, I know that it is very profitable. Lucky, luckily, you're not from around here, so you don't care if everybody in Cincinnati hears about it. So that's... Well, I think there's plenty out there. Um, there's, I think there's, we have VA hospitals that are filled with um, people who need housing. We have uh, special needs groups that are looking for housing. And, you know, it's one thing being you know, very successful in, in making money in real estate, but there's also, also the other part of it is doing something that's significant. What I mean by that is that, you know, I make a lot of money doing special needs housing, but yes, but I'm also changing the quality of somebody's life by running to the handicapped population. So I make a lot of money and I'm able to do something uh, for my fellow human being in this country and and I like doing that. And that is the best possible combination of things when you get to be a good capitalist and also change the world. Well, not the world, just my small little corner. You know, I only take care of one little corner. Uh, I'm really uh, excited about coming to your event. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be speaking there twice, I understand. And I think 1030 on Friday yep. and 1030 on Saturday. Right. And uh, right. I encourage all your listeners to get there because it's a great, great convention. It's a, you know, you've, you're one of the best conventions in the country. Well, uh, appreciate appreciate you saying that. It's uh, from from this view with four days left to go. It looks overwhelming, but yes, it will be awesome. Um, now let's define what special needs housing is, because many times when you say those words, people get the wrong idea of what special needs housing might be. Okay, I do a couple of different avenues. I rent to. Uh, special needs housing are any group of people that can benefit from all-inclusive shared rentals. So an example would be if you had a three-bedroom house, you would actually have three people sharing that house and co-oping into that living space. So they have their own private bedroom, and they share a kitchen, living room, bathroom. And the groups that I basically uh, fall into this special needs housing group are any group of people that can benefit from a shared housing. An example would be like the VA hospitals. It would be uh, the handicapped population, Department of Mental Hygiene, um, cerebral palsy, the Blind Association, the Deaf Association. College students are another great group. And I'll tell you, I never knew that Ohio was the, 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 the pharmaceutical capital of the world. You have more pharmaceutical schools in Ohio than any place else in this country, you know, and I have a, a student right now that is basically doing that, um, and he's in the Akron area, and he's running to kids that are going to pharmaceutical school. So he's co-oping three people together. And what I do is I put the three people together, and I co-op them together, and I make them all inclusive. So I'll pay the gas, the electric, the heat, and everything, and put everybody in there. But what I'm able to do is get market rent per person. So the rule of thumb is wherever the market rent is for a one-bedroom apartment in any geographical area I'm able to get that per person in this rental unit. Mm-hmm. So if I have a single-family home, that market, the open market rent is for that single-family home. I'm in the Buffalo area, so our rents aren't great. You know, they're probably comparable to Ohio, but the single-family home here is maybe about a thousand dollars a month. But a one-bedroom apartment here is around four hundred bucks a month. So I'm between four and and five. Uh, or a one-bedroom apartment. So what I'm able to do is 
uh, put three people in there at that market rent for the one-bedroom apartment. So I got a $1,000 rental. Now I turned it into a $1,500 rental. Mm-hmm. And that's basically for the college students. For the handicapped population, they pay much higher for that because what they're looking for is to put people together so that they can build a relationship and have a family unit uh, together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the people I rent to are people who can benefit from supportive, independent living. So what I don't do is like halfway houses or group homes where people need assistance. I basically rent to people who can benefit from supportive, independent housing, and those are people who do not need any assistance with ADL skills, activities of daily living. They basically need to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And they live together, they co-op together, and they make, they make a ton of money doing this. And the best part of this, of doing this is like, you know, Everyone thinks that, you know, that they, they try to portray being a landlord as a rose garden. Well, there's a lot of uh, negative parts of being a landlord. It's like trying to collect rents and evicting people and, and having people follow rules and, and downtime and vacancies. I don't have any of that with my special needs housing group. I've had people in, in homes for 18 years. You know, like, you know, you don't get a tenant for 18 years. You know, and so there. The, the benefits of doing it is that I get long-term rentals and I get a much better tenant. People are destroying my house. My rent is always in my mailbox in the first of the month because a computer is spitting out a check for me every single month. You know, they're computer-generated checks, and those agencies just pay on time every single month. It's like the real first of the month, you know, the, the real first, because some people have different kind of different calendars. You know, they think a first is any between times between any order from the first to the tenth. Mm-hmm. So I basically focus on those groups. A perfect example of Xena is that the sitcom Golden Girls. You had three women that were widowers who could not live on their own because they didn't have enough income coming in, and they co-opted the three of them together. That's a perfect example of special needs housing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, now, and I do that to the handicapped populations. Now, I want to I wanna, uh, dig a little bit uh, more deeply into actually a lot of stuff you just said, <laughs> but uh, first we need to both take a break and invite listeners who might have questions about how you can do this yourself to give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send us an email at askvina at gmail.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Nick Sedoti. He's one of the featured speakers at the upcoming, as in tomorrow, Ohio Real Estate Investors Association's National New Strategies Summit. And we're talking today about his topic and his favorite strategy, which is providing special needs housing to folks with special needs. Um, now, Nick, many times when when I will uh, talk to people about special needs housing, their first thought is, oh, you're talking about one of those group homes for people who are coming out of prison or they're drug addicts or they're, uh, uh, you know, uh, deeply mentally ill, you know, th- things like that. And those, although those are populations that are serviced, that's not really the po- the populations you deal with because there's all sorts of licensing issues and zoning issues and problems with that. Correct. I don't do any of those groups. Uh, as I said, I do supportive independent housing where people can live on their own. So I provide no services whatsoever. 
But again, I do stay. I totally stay away from, uh, you know, the the groups that have highly high relapse rates. So I don't do people coming out of prison. I don't do pedophiles. I don't do, you know, people who have fucking alcohol abuse. That's a very high relapse rate. Relapse rate, uh, rate because those people have a constant battle every day fighting that those illnesses. So I avoid those. I don't market to those people. Mm-hmm. But when you're marketing to the VA hospital, you're going to get, you know, uh, the guys that are sitting in there that don't have a support system of a family that are usually Vietnam vets. And these guys just need some place to go and live uh, and, and have some quality to their life. So that's why I rent to I basically rent to the older guys to VA hospitals. They're not you know, drug dealers, they're not renewing my house. I don't make any structural changes to the house. I don't put up ramps and I don't put up, you know, uh, bathroom rails or any of that stuff. These are people that could just basically live on their own with the support of a caseworker or a case manager or a primary therapist. Somebody who comes there and visits them every seven to ten days and checks on them. And that's basically it. Uh, so they're no, they're not very high risk people because, uh, that's a lot of work and I don't want to do those. And, and, uh, Supervised housing are a nightmare because of all the government regulations, you know, the, the fire system and, and hiring staff, and, and I don't do any of that stuff. So this is basically renting space is what I do. I'm renting to three individuals sharing a rental. It's almost like college kids living together in a house sharing a rental. That's all it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you, you, you mentioned that... Um you, your check's always in the mail on, or on, always in the mailbox on the first of the month because it's computer generated. And uh, I know a lot of folks are, are going to be thinking, "Oh, he's getting Section Eight. I don't want to deal with Section Eight. No, it is not Section Eight. What it basically is is that ninety-five uh, percent uh, of my clientele that are from agencies. The agency is the payee for their SSI and SSD check, and they get a subsidy also. So the agency is basically. Uh, writing the check out and mailing the, the check for the client. And they, they group them together. So there's three people living there, so they send all three rent checks and one check and group it together and, send it, and mail it off to me. And the computers is spitting that check out. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's not Section 8. Uh, Which Even means... though there's a whole different section for Section 8 in the special needs housing category. But, no, that's not what I'm dealing with. I basically deal with people that have a payee and someone who's, uh, to pay you for their, their SSI and SSD checks. And some of these people have very big trust funds, you know, and they have uh, a lot of money, but yet they have payees that are conservators for them. Mm-hmm. And those are the people mailing the checks out to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, no Section 8 means no lengthy process to get the place approved and no red tape. No, because they're not looking at that stuff. They're not looking at, um, you know, they, they want normal safety, of course, you know, they don't want to put their clients at risk, so they're not going to put you, you know, put the clients in some place that's substandard, but they're not going to sit there and say to you that uh, you have to go and check every single windowsill for, for chip paint. They're not, going to, they're not concerned with that. They're just coming in to see if you have safe, decent, quality housing. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're not looking for a mansion. They're just looking for normal housing, but they're not going to nitpick like Section 8 does. But what happens with Section 8, too, is that you got the Section 8 inspectors coming in, and they always find something to make, you know, they make a second trip back, you know. But it's it's not Section 8. It's, it's, I'm telling you, these people are much, much better than any of my, quote, normal tenants. <laughs> I will take these guys any single day.
I'll take, you know, three guys from the VA hospital before I take Sally, who's got three kids and three different last names and collecting Section 8. You know, that's not maybe politically correct, but I said it anyways. <laughs> now, the, um, the to, to, to just sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, aim in what you're saying a little bit here, uh, six months or a year ago, uh, there was a meeting here in Cincinnati between uh, some of the landlords from Cincinnati Rhea and the uh, some of the agencies in town who serviced a variety of people. Some of them were uh, mildly mentally handicapped. Some of them were, as you say, veterans, you know, folks like that. And the meeting was about how we could provide them with more housing. That uh, Housing is one of the major concerns for a lot of the service providers who work with these people on a day-to-day basis over other things, over medical care, over jobs, education, all that sort of stuff. And the thing that they do not do is they, they do not provide housing. The services don't go out and buy a house so that people can live in it. So uh, what, what do you feel like the size of the untapped market is in this country right now? I think it's tremendous. I think there's, you know, um, you know, it's right now in this country uh, we're much more conscientious of our, our servicemen and the sacrifices uh, they go through for our country. But there's those guys from the Vietnam era that are basically in their 60s and 70s now. And I know that because I'm that old and I was during that era. So these guys are 60 and 70 now. And there's no place for them to live, and they need this this space to do that for our new veterans are coming in that actually need medical treatment. So to be hospital is not like uh, it's not a dormitory. You know, so when people are physically able to live on their own, their job is to get them out, get them back in the community. But what also happens is that these agencies is like you know we just had an election, so we have people from any geographical area that are. Uh, in the House and in the Senate, trying to get U.S. dollars to bring back to their local community. So the people in Ohio, the representatives in Ohio, need to go and get money from the U.S. government and bring it back into their geographical area and feed that geographical area with, with money from the federal government. Well, these agencies are a great place where they take the federal dollars and do something with it that's worthwhile because you're providing housing for somebody and you're saving a ton of money because it costs 10 times more to house somebody in a VA hospital than it does to find a, a local rental in, your, in the local neighborhood. So you're saving a lot of money. So this is one of the programs that really works well because the government's not wasting money. They're actually saving money because they're not keeping somebody inside of an institution. And they deserve quality housing. You know, they fought for our country. Mm-hmm. You know, they deserve quality housing. So... Um, there's a great need for it, and what happens also is that it makes the caseworkers uh, work a lot easier because when they're doing that follow-up, they're actually seeing three clients at one time. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that goes on is that when you take clients from the VA hospital and you put them by themselves, like in one-bedroom apartments, they get very psychosomatic and they want to come back in because they're lonely. You know, you can't isolate human beings. So by putting three people into a rental, this could be an apartment, it can be in a house, you have an automatic built-in support system. You know, you got three guys talking together, hanging together, watching TV together, watching the ball game together, instead of being by themselves and being isolated. So it's it's a great system. It's a great system. Mm-hmm. Now, you you also mentioned that when you do this group these group housing situations, uh, 
even though it's a single family home where typically the tenant would pay for things like cable TV and electric and uh, gas and things like that, that you in fact make it an all inclusive rental. Is, yes, I do. Is there a reason for that? Well, the reason why is because there's not they don't have that you know they haven't got great funds. So what happens is that they don't have enough funds to go out and rent that one bedroom apartment and pay the gas, the electric, the cable, and uh, and all the utilities. But when I'm co-oping them and putting three of them together, I'm paying a, a heating bill. It doesn't cost me more to heat a house with three bodies in it than one body. So by putting the three, by thinking it all inclusive, it's much easier for the agencies to, uh, to 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 pay for their housing, because that's where it makes it worth their while. Because they're getting a one bedroom, they're they're getting the same rent as a one bedroom apartment, but it's all inclusive. There's not enough money for them to go and rent to your house or your one bedroom apartment and pay gas, electric, cable, and TV. There's not enough there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. I want to remind listeners again, if you have questions, you can call them in at 877-772-9658 or send an email to askvina at gmail.com. Our topic today is increasing your profits and doing good for the world by providing special needs housing. Our guest is Nick Sidoti, and we will be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Nick Sidoti, also known as Dr. Cashflow. Uh, if you're coming to the OREA convention, uh, which starts tomorrow, uh, and I know many WMKV listeners are, and thank you again, by the way, for your pledge to WMKV uh, to do that. You will be able to see Nick, and he is speaking on uh, both Friday and Saturday. I uh, just got an email in to askvina at gmail.com. And by the way, that is A-S-K-V like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com. This is from John in Indianapolis. Uh, John says, first of all, I do encourage everyone to see Nick. Even if you're not interested in special needs housing, it's like a free comedy show. <laughs> Secondly, he says, uh, in the small town where I live, there is a law against rooming houses the city officials seem to think that special needs housing would fall into this category as there are three or more unrelated individuals. How do you overcome this? Well, the first thing I want to say is that it's not a rooming house because there's no locks on bedroom doors. And that's extremely important. By not putting locks on bedroom doors, it's a shared rental. And the way this country works is that you could have a city law or a town, and that law is superseded by the county, and the county is superseded by the state law. And then you have the federal law, which is supersedes all laws. Under the federal law, these people are protected under the American Disability Act. You cannot say they cannot live together as a family unit. Number one, it violates the Fair Housing Act. And number two, it violates um, the American Disability Act. Usually the reason why there's a problem with this is they come up with these with these rules of no more than three unrelated people, which is perfect because I never do more than three. That's all I ever do is three. You know, I don't want to put a house with seven people in it. I only do three. So, number one, I always fall under that guideline. So, usually it says no more than three unrelated people. And that's what I usually just do is three at a time. Um, but besides that, the federal law says you can't discriminate against people with the, under, the Fair, under the American Disability Act. And... The other thing is they write these laws because some landlords 
rent houses out, almost like frat houses, where they have the cattle, college students. So you have college students, and you got 10 college students living together. Cars parked all over the place, beer cans on the lawn. You know, they're kids. And those, that's why they come up with these laws, is because of the college students. I don't have any problem with doing that. And I can't see any inspector coming in and saying, oh, you got three veterans here from the, from the veterans' hospital living together. They're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, I stay under the three. Yeah, so, so, so John, being more educated than your local officials, uh, it sounds like might be the key to answering these concerns uh, that they may have. And uh, th- Yeah, I could see, could you see it on the 5 o'clock news, Vina? <laughs> Landlord arrested for renting to three disabled veterans. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and th- thank you very much for your uh, email, John, if you have a question. Uh, listeners about special needs housing, uh, please go ahead and give us a call at 877-772-9658 or send us an email. The email address, again, is askvina at gmail.com. And we just got one in here from Ryan in South Carolina. Uh, Ryan says, let me, this is a long question. Let me see if I can summarize it uh, here for you briefly okay uh ryan's question nick is basically would this work on other kinds of properties than single family homes so uh, apparently he has a four family with four three bedroom units and is thinking could i get you know 12 people into this thing <laughs> yes you could but what i what they don't want is another institution see the whole per, the whole per, the whole uh, purpose of this concept is to deinstitutionalize people, get them out of institutions and, and mainstream into the community. So I have little fourplexes, and that's what I like. I like little fourplexes. But I'll make market two of those units to the VA hospital, one of those units to um, uh, maybe the Blind or Deaf Association or maybe the Department of Mental Hygiene, and maybe the third, the fourth one to college students. You know, And those things, they think it's not a great mix. It's a great mix because college students are really pretty nice when it comes to my other question of housing clientele. So to answer your question, they don't want to put 12 people together because that's another institution. But, you know, you could just use that and put maybe one of those units, two of those units, and rent the other two units to the open market. Uh, one other thing I want to inject, Nina, is that I want to encourage people who don't own real estate that are thinking of starting. The OREA conference is a great place to come and get some education and learn before you go out and do it. And, and you know, like, Vina's one of the speakers there, and she's great at teaching people who are beginners. And this concept of special needs housing can be done even if you don't own property because you can lease option properties. Mm-hmm. So I want to encourage your listeners who don't own property, ever thought about a real estate investing, this is an excellent opportunity to meet other investors, and, and they'll be welcome with open arms. Am I right, Vina? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, question just came in from Missy in downstate New York. Never heard that uh, particular, um, <laughs> heard upstate New York. I guess there must be a downstate New York. Now, her question is really about the, uh, service providers to these folks. Now, you, 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 you've, you've mentioned veterans a lot. You, uh, also mentioned the, the, the folks who service the, you know, people who are blind, people who are deaf, et cetera. Um, 
her specific question was about contacting the VA, and of course, you know, Missy, you can you can you can Google that. But uh, I think that that really the question here is, how do I make this relationship? I mean, I, I assume I assume Nick that you're not going to tell people, oh, well, you just got to get on the phone and just call up these people and say, oh, hey, I have a I have a place for rent. Let's go. There's 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 got to be more relationship building than that. Correct. There is. You do have to build a relationship. Number one and number two is that. You know, it's very hard to do this. You know, I, you know, I say this on the stage, and this is not a sales pitch, but I tell people, if you go out and try to do this without doing it my way, you're going to, I guarantee you're going to fail. <laughs> I want your listeners to understand that the reason why I got involved in this system is because I worked in the system. I worked for 30 years in a psychiatric center. Some people think I was a patient there, but I was. I really did work there. <laughs> but working in that system, I learned very quickly that with the rules of client confidentiality and the HIFCA rules, you're not going to get any information by calling an agent saying, and saying that you want to run to their clientele. So the places you have to, uh, and I teach this actually uh, when, when you hear me speak, is how to contact local county agencies that are getting funding from other sources from the federal government to provide housing. So these are basically housing agencies. But you know, they don't put signs out front and say what they do. They want to sit in the community and be part of the community without bringing any great attention to themselves and to their clientele. Uh, they can't go out and put ads in the paper saying, looking for rentals for disabled veterans, because that is client confidential information. It's like, you know, like a spouse trying to call, like if I was to call my wife's doctor and try to get her test results, I'm not going to get nowhere. You know, that's medical information. You're not going to get anywhere. I can't even get my own test results over the phone, <laughs> let alone get somebody else's. So it's the, the marketing is very important, and you have to build a relationship. When you first got to find the agency, then you got to build a relationship with that agency because the social workers of this country are, are the mothers of this country. They're not people – social workers don't become social workers because they make a lot of money. You know, they're the nurturers of this country. They're the mother Teresa's of the country, and they're very, very protective of their clientele. And they have some uh, some uh, responsibility of where they're placing them, too. So they're going to be very picky at who they choose. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to just do something over the phone with somebody who calls them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, question from Janice, who she says, It's so gratifying to hear your guests speaking about special needs housing. My organization is focused on providing deaf-friendly housing, did Nick have contracts in place with different agencies to ensure he had tenants for the houses before he purchased the properties? I've been more interested in multifamily buildings because I could mitigate the startup risks by already having tenants in place. How did you put this together so that you weren't hanging out there with no tenants once you closed escrow? I'm a firm believer of find what the need is and fulfill the need. So I would suggest that your listener, um, uh, hopefully she's going to come to your to, to the event. But I tell people, I teach people to market to the agency first and tell them, I'm here to see what your needs are. I'm here to find out what your housing needs are and how we could help you provide quality housing for your clientele. What are you looking for? Where are you looking for? Then go find it. Mm-hmm. Get a commitment from them that they want what you're going to go out and find. And that's the best way of doing it is to contact the agency first. So in my course, I basically teach people three different techniques. Number one, uh, there's one section there saying that you own rental properties and you have a vacancy. 
and you, you follow the instructions in that section. The second section is that you own property, but you have no vacancies. And then you go to that section. And the third section is you don't own property, and you're looking to start out, and you don't have the means to start buying property. And I teach you how to go out and lease a piece of property with an, a lease option and, 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 and sublease it out to the agencies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nick, this is uh, this this is my question, but it was brought up uh, by the by the question you just answered uh, from Janice. Um, I assume you don't recommend to people that they go out and purchase a property at a higher price than they normally would because they think that in the future they will get more rents than they normally would. I mean, you're going to tell them to go out Absolutely and, not. You're but, 100% right. Absolutely not. Buy, buy it as if up. you were going to have to just put a market tenant in it and then put these other folks in, in it instead and make a lot more money correct. than you thought you were. <laughs> Basically. You're absolutely correct. And that's what I do in the beginning of the course. I tell people to do a rate of return on a piece and a market analysis of that piece of property as if it was a normal rental on a normal market. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's how you make your offer to buy that piece of property. Then you're also going to do it all over again, that rate of return all over again, and and do it as and raise those rents and put those expenses as special needs housing and see the difference in that, in the, those those two figures, and you're going to see that you're going to make sometimes 50 to 75 percent more money with special needs housing. But again, the biggest thing is the big picture, the real big picture, is that you're providing quality housing for people who deserve quality housing, that you're helping your fellow human being. You know, live a decent life, and that's what's the best part. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, uh, thank you for your question, Janice. I, I I think the the takeaway is, you know, every time we buy a vacant property that we intend to rent, we start that process with no rents. But if uh, if you build the relationships first, find out find out what the service agencies want. Um, maybe even, I don't know, Nick, have you ever gone to one of these companies and said, well, here's what I'm potentially thinking about buying. What do you think of this one? Do you ever actually go that far? I ask, I, I actually will contact agencies saying, I want to know what your housing needs is because I will go buy something to, to, to fit your needs mm-hmm. and work on that with them. And you can actually take them to look at it, you know, before you, you before you purchase it, mm-hmm. you know, and if, if it's a, if you have to do work quickly on the property, you can put a contingency on it. You're buying a contingent upon this, uh, reinspection by uh, the agency. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, we need to take another quick break. We will, after that, take anybody who can still get an email in to askvina at gmail.com. That's A-S-K-V, like in Victor, E-N-A at gmail.com or give us a call at 877-772-9658. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Nick Sidoti. If you're coming to the National New Strategy Summit tomorrow, you will see him on Friday or on Saturday. So you'll get to uh, much more information because we are just uh, the questions are just coming in fast and furious nick um doing a radio show is different than doing a presentation where you get to say things from end to end i know but uh appreciate you bearing with us and answering our listener questions here uh this one is from david in clinton maryland he says i have two houses that i wanted to use for this type of housing i heard that you provide the cable heat 
AC, electric, etc. But what about things like toilet paper, dishes, towels, food? I do. My, my units are basically all-inclusive. I provide all the kitchen utensils. I provide all the furniture in the house. I provide. I do not provide meals. I do not provide any food. I do not provide any linens. Uh, if you start providing food and linens, you need license to do that in most communities. So I do not provide any of those things. But I do furnish them completely, and I do put utens- the kitchen utensils in there, um, and they're completely furnished. And I provide table. Uh, I actually put landlines in, even though everyone has a cell phone. Um, most people in, in the special needs community don't have cell phones. I do put a landline in and um, play, basically pay all the utilities. Uh, and you'll, it's amazing that some of these agencies get a lot of grant money for utilities. I don't know if they have that in your town or in your, or in your area, but here in, in western New York, our if you pay a utility bill, you could add a dollar to your utility bill to help someone else pay their utility bill who's less fortunate, and that money has to be distributed. Well, one of the main places it goes is to the agencies. Catholic charities give agencies an awful lot of money for utilities, and you got things like United Way that will subsidize utilities. So even though I'm paying all the utilities, and it's included in their rent, I will actually get money from the agencies to help subsidize those utilities also. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I know some listeners are thinking, well, wait a minute. Now he's furnishing the house and, you know, heaven knows how to, how they're going to turn up the furnace when they're not paying for the utilities. Does the extra income actually offset the extra costs that I'm going to be putting into this? Well, it does. You take some precaution like anything else. Uh, like any place you have where you're providing utilities and you're paying, you're paying utilities, you have to be... Uh, guarded on what you're doing and not doing. So my thermostats are set at specific um, temperature in your lock so they can't go turning the utilities up full blast. Uh, but again, as I said before, you will actually get, you actually get, and you can hear when I speak to, um, this weekend, you'll actually see where I'm getting rent increases according to utility consumption. Where utilities go up, you know, I might get an extra 200 bucks and in, in a rent increase. And, you know, I don't know about you know, most landlords, but getting a $200 rent increase is an awful lot of money for a rent increase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> $200 a month for a rent increase is a lot of money for a rent increase. I'm, most people can't get 10 bucks as a rent increase. Mm-hmm. But when it comes down to it, when you dollar for dollar, you'll find that you're going to get up. You know, it's not always 50%. Sometimes it's only 30 40% more money. Sometimes as high as 75% more money. But the Big picture is is not only the money, it's the person that you got living there. You know, I'm not painting my units every single year because somebody's coming in and coming out, and and I have that downtime of two months empty because I can't get it rented. They're rented all the time, and I think the biggest biggest expense property owners pay is for vacancies. Those are killers. The month doesn't come back when it's gone. You know, when you lose a month's rent, it's gone. You're not going to recoup that. So I don't have the vacancies. I don't have the downtime. I don't have the repairs and the maintenance as much. Some of these agencies take care of the first $500 in repairs for my units, so I don't have to pay for repairs. You know, for toilet plugs or something, they call their caseworker. They don't call me. You know, and the caseworker calls a plumber that they have a contract with, and they, they go out and do it. Mm-hmm. So it's a much better tenant, less maintenance, less wear and tear, 
better clientele and more money. Question from Henry in Southfield, Michigan. He says, I am not clear on whether the leases are with the individual tenants or with the housing agencies, and I'm also not clear on if one of those tenants were to move, would the housing agency continue to pay that rent, place a new tenant, or do you lose one-third of your rent for that month? Okay. Uh, it depends. You know, there's, there's different ways of each agency is different in how they do it. The agency may say that they want to contract with each individual tenant living in the unit, and that might be because of when they wrote for their grant money, that's what they said they were going to do is they were going to make them independently uh, living in these units. But when push comes to shove, the agency is still going to follow up their clientele and be responsible for their client. So even though I'm signing three different contracts, rental agreements with three different people, the agency is basically there. Sometimes the agency just does one contract for all three people. And as far as people moving in and out, the agencies will automatically replace somebody when somebody has to go back. It's like an example. If you have somebody from a VA hospital and they're diabetic and they have to go back to the hospital, if there's a chance of him going back into that rental unit, they will just pay you for the empty room because they want to put him back in there and keep the family unit together that they developed. If the person is going to go leave and permanently be gone, they will replace them with somebody else. So do I always get my rent paid? Yes. My rent is usually paid whether somebody's in there or somebody's not in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So lots of advantages in terms of um, ease, uh, the, the, the lesser expenses that come with that ease, <laughs> because as you said, it's not just vacancy, it's also the turnover. And uh, higher rents on top of that. So it, it, it all sounds wonderful. Why is every landlord on the planet not doing this? Well, I, again, it's, it's, it's where the idea came from. You know, the idea came from because I was actually working in the field. So I knew the field like the back of my hand, and that's basically what I teach. I pe- teach people that, that field, the, the field of, of the handicapped population. Uh, why isn't everyone doing it? It's like you and I sit there and say over and over again, you know, I have family members, you probably do too, who don't invest in real estate. And you say, like, God, what's wrong with these people? They have family members who are experts and they don't do it. I can't, I don't know why people do what they do and they don't do. <laughs> I, you know, who knows? I can't see why anyone wouldn't jump and be in line tomorrow to get at your event. You should have a line going outside and you should be sold out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why do people, I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, this is uh, this is more along the lines of a of a comment than a question, and this one is from Ryan, who is in Texas someplace. He says it was interesting to hear the comment from the lady who was working with the deaf population a number of years ago. I subleased out an entire four family to a company that worked with deaf people. They retrofit my apartment building with some things like lights for the doorbells and so on. I didn't pay a dime. They paid the rent the entire time I owned it. And when I sold the building, I think I sold it for more than market value because I had a very good looking balance sheet. (laughs) Very smart, man. Yes, they do that. Uh, the Deaf Association comes in and they do things like vibrating beds where they have uh, a heat detector and a smoke detector that's actually going to the bed. So if the smoke alarm goes off, the bed actually shakes. Mm-hmm. And that's what they use for, for smoke alarms. And they put that stuff in there. Uh, they do the things with um, 
the lights will blink on and off. It's, usually they put one, it looks like a smoke detector, and it's blue, and it will just flash, almost like the outside blue lights they have for um, universities and stuff like that. But what's great about it, they've come and put all this stuff in, and if they ever leave, they put it back to an original condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, those, great, those are great people to come in. And, and, and they also put in these, uh, these telecommunication systems, which are absolutely great because the phones are, are, are used by deaf people. People don't realize that people use these phones, but they actually take this phone and put it onto a modem and sit there and type back and forth, and there's a translator that they use, a translating system that they use to communicate on the phone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's called DefLink in our area. I don't know what's called if they have different names around the country, but yes, they communicate by putting these modems in there. That, so, so, so there's. I guess as with any strategy, there could potentially be a lot of ways to go with this. Uh, are you? Are you? Correct. Are you? Are you? Correct. Letting your property be retrofit, or are you not letting your property be retrofit? Uh, decisions that you're going to make for yourself based on your preferences, your market, what the uh, folks in your market need, and so on. Um, so l- lots of flexibility here and obviously still a lot to learn, which uh, luckily the folks who are going to be there on Friday and Saturday will get to learn from you, Nick. We have about we have about one or two minutes left. Can you can you just share for, for folks who may not be coming to the convention, maybe thinking, oh, I'm just going to dive into this right now. Are there any don'ts? Are there any are there any things that that you've done that you wish you didn't or seen other people do that are just just don't do it? Well, the first don't I want to tell people is that for beginners, don't go out and buy a piece of real estate until you get some real estate education. Don't go out there and jump. Because I see that over and over again. People come in, they say they paid too much money for a piece of property. They bought some nightmare. Uh, they bought something that needs a total gut. And they haven't got the finance to do it. You know, you need to learn something before you go out and do it. Don't invest in real estate unless you have some background in real estate. Um, that's one thing I want to tell people. Number two is that you need to do your homework. You need to do your due diligence. You need to know what you're buying, and you need to know what your rate of return is. You know, not everything is a, is perfect. Like, everyone thinks that the magic word is foreclosure. Not all foreclosures are great. Sometimes people owe way too much money on a piece of property, and there's way too many liens on it to make it worthwhile. So my big thing is to um, get educated. Know, the best dollar you can spend is on your own education. Mm-hmm. You know, get educated, number one. And number two is that, you know, do your due diligence and know what you're doing before you go and invest and give anybody your money. Great advice in any market on any day. And we appreciate you being with us here today, Nick. Look forward to seeing you in a couple of days here in Cincinnati at the convention. If you're a WMKV listener who somehow just missed your opportunity right up to today, uh, just show up at the door at the Great Wolf Lodge. The information's at oreaconvention.com. Tell us you're a WMKV listener, and we'll get it worked out for you. We'll be back more next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.